Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Morning, church. Lovely to be here again, and uh, it's an honour always to, to get up before you all and to share uh, the message uh, in the morning. You've got me this morning because I think uh, Andrew is in Mackenzie. Um, so yeah, you're stuck with me. Uh, there's no choice about that. Um, and we can do whatever we want because uh, Andrew's not here to tell me uh, what I cannot do. So we're going to change things up a little bit, right? Um, there's nothing exciting. So uh, you'll notice that this morning is Communion Sunday. Uh, but if you've got one of these, I'll just get you to set it aside. Um, we're going to have communion, but we're going to have it after the message. Um, because this week we're going to look at... Uh, the idea or the concept of debt and forgiveness uh, that comes in that part of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and it really fits in neatly with communion. Um, so uh, it's a good way for us to finish on and land on the Holy Communion. And I want us to have that time and space later on um, between us and God. Um, so we've been spending a number of weeks uh, looking very closely at the Lord's Prayer. Like Hannah said, we've been unpacking it sentence by sentence. The version that appears, or the one that we prayed uh, with Brendan, um, comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, which is one of the accounts of Jesus' life, they're called Gospels, uh, of his life, ministry, death, resurrection. Um, and, and the early church said this is, you know, it should have been this guy called Matthew that wrote it. Uh, it's basically a model prayer that Jesus teaches the disciples to pray. And, and in another Gospel, the Gospel of Luke, uh, it records that the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, like how John, and this is John the Baptist, teaches uh, his disciples to pray. Uh, and so that's where the series gets the inspiration, teach us to pray. And I'm reminded it's almost like in school where we, you know, in different math classes and one of the classes gets taught something uh, and how to do a problem and we get felt left out. So we go, hey, miss, can you teach us what the other guy in the other class is teaching? So, you know, we don't want, we don't want to be left out because John the Baptist is teaching, you know, his disciples how to pray. Jesus, we want you to be cool so that we can, you know, show people that you know how to pray. So Jesus says, okay, uh, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And he stops there. So, but if you're from a pretty traditional church background, you'll be tempted like me to go, and yours is the kingdom and the power and glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, that, that bit is not in the prayer in the Bible. Uh, I'm told is a later Anglican edition to it. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at just the second last section or sentence, if you like. Uh, and it's, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And I'm so glad that um, I'm being asked to jump in this week out of all weeks because uh, I really know about debt. And I, I live in debt. 
I am in debt. I work in debt. I am in so much debt. Uh, I can... I can tell you all about it. If you downloaded me, my brain, onto those things, I think they're called Wordles these days, where you know your person or, or the concept is being put on a page in word form, and the, the thing that's most prominent about the thing comes out biggest um, or, or most frequently. Like if you put me onto a word or the word debt would sit there somewhere in the middle in really size 72 font or something like that. You know, I have, uh, wait, where is it? Um, I have credit card debt. Um, I owe, so this piece of paper is my hex debt. That's um, a fair bit. This is my tax debt. This one's not too bad, this one. Um, and this innocent bundle of paper is called a mortgage. Joy, joy. And it has way too many zeros on it. So I am in a fair bit of debt. But apparently, people are not too concerned. Uh, people are not too concerned about my level of debt. You know, every second week, I get a financial advisor ringing me, uh, telling me that I should get into more debt. Um, I'm quite aware that there might be people here and there might be people uh, around us who's thinking, man, that's, it's so lucky to be in debt because it means you're able to, to, to have things. You know, I wish I could be in some debt. I wish the bank could lend me some money so I could, you know, have that house. Uh, so the funny thing these days is that uh, the better off we are, uh, the bigger our debt. You know, my debt is minuscule compared to some of my clients, and that they have some debts in scary figures. And I think as a society, we've normalised uh, debt. We've, we, it's normal now to have debt. It's normal now to live in debt. And it's also normal to have debtors. Uh, I've got any given time, probably 20 to 25% of my clients uh, owe me money on unpaid bills. And I happen to work in an industry where I, that shouldn't technically happen because I can get clients to pay into an account beforehand called a trust account. But it still happens. And there might be those, out, or those of you who run a business or you're in a trade and you might have up to 50% of your work at any given time owed to you as a debt. Now, we don't even call them debts anymore. We call them accounts receivable. Now, even if we're employees working for someone else, a portion of our salary is always paid in arrears, meaning it's owed to us for a few days. Some of my older colleagues at work remember those paycheck days. You know, you got your paycheck at the end of the day, so it wasn't owed to you. Um, I obviously never went through that, but I did get my 30 bucks uh, a week, a day cash and my box of Mongolian beef when I worked at the Chinese takeaway when I was in high school. So that, that's my experience of that. Uh, but clearly, um, oh, then we got afterpay, um, and, and this, uh, a few days ago, I think I read in the back of a bus, this company called uh, MyPayNow, and, and so these are basically companies that will give us money now, but will take it back from you as a debt. And they don't quite call it a debt, but that's what it is. Um, and I think when Afterpay floated on the stock exchange, I thought to myself, that must be the worst kind of business to invest in. You know, it's going to go broke. It's going to fail. You should never rely on me for investment advice. Just, just look at their share price. You'll be blown away. Um, so clearly, debt and being in debt is now a normal part of life. And I think because it's such a normal part of our life to be in debt, that when we read things in the Bible like, 
Forgive us our debts as we forgive others their debts. We just don't compute. Who forgives debts? You know, if I rang up Commonwealth Bank this morning and I said, uh, I waived all my clients' bills this month, so please waive my home loan for the month, I, I, I imagine the person on the other side of the phone will go, well, that was a stupid thing to do, wasn't it? Maybe we should call your house in now and auction it off before you do something more stupid, right? Uh, they're not going to forgive my debt. And then the government steps in to, to prevent us from forgiving a debt. And I found out as I was advising a client lately that in Australia, if you forgive a debt, the person whose debt is forgiven has to pay capital gains tax. Don't forget there is a whole industry out there around debt. And I I love a good debt dispute myself. Uh, You should know that um, debt recovery is to a litigation lawyer what conveyancing is like to a property or a commercial lawyer. Um, it's the type of work we spend a lot of time doing the most uninspiring thing, like adding up unpaid invoices and calculating interest at the, whatever it is now, half a percent. Uh, and the clients are never happy because we end up getting them 50 cents in the dollar and be, you know, they had to pay us to get back only a little bit of what they were already owed in the first place. So it's never, a, a, a where we get the, it's never part of the business where we get the, the thanks of the client. And then we've got insolvency practitioners, liquidators, trustees in bankruptcy, auctioneers, the whole lot, and none of them are saying to you, forgive the debt. They don't want you to forgive anything until they get paid, right? Of course they want to get their cut. So the Bible surely, surely is way out of touch. And we do get a very different idea and a picture of debt and forgiveness in the Bible. Uh, In Matthew, which is where we take the Lord's Prayer from, later on we get a story of Jesus telling uh, telling a story. It's in chapter 18. I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this story. So turn to it on your phone, Matthew 18, uh, on your devices, your your Bible, whatever. So uh, Peter, uh, one of the disciples, asked Jesus about forgiveness and how much and to what extent he should be forgiving someone. It says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, the man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Uh, Instead, he went off at the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. 
This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Of course, these days when uh, we don't pay our debts, we don't end up with our whole family being sold into slavery, thankfully, and we don't need to worry about getting tortured and put in jail until that money is found. Uh, Although I still get occasional phone calls from a a recorded voice uh, saying that they're from the ATO and uh, they're after me for tax evasion and uh, I'm going to be arrested right now. Um, Apparently that's a scam. I didn't pay any of that money to uh, set off my arrest warrant and no one from the ATO ever came to arrest me. I'm still here, standing. Uh, These days, I think at best, a, a creditor... Uh, sues us and puts us into bankruptcy, right? These days, uh, and the bankruptcy lasts for three years. You're undischarged for three years. And I think even now the government is saying we should change it to one year so that people could, you know, start a business, take on some risk, and if it goes bad, fail. One year later they can get up and back and running again as to help the economy. I have no idea if that's a good idea or not. I think it it's, sounds problematic to me, but hey, that's, that's way above my pay grade. But no jail, no slavery, maybe some hurt and humiliation and some financial stress. The times are obviously different between then and now. Uh, The way we look at and treat debt has changed a lot over 2,000 years. But if we look at this story, we we also find that we have not changed. And everything this servant does bears strange resemblance to, I think, all of us. I think the servant in this story points to really two traits uh, which we find equally a struggle in our interaction with God. Firstly, we struggle to recognise the extent of our debt. And second, we struggle to understand our total capacity to meet that debt. I mean, they're connected hand in hand. First, we struggle to recognise the full extent of our debt. And second, we struggle to understand our total lack of capacity to meet that debt. And we're so used to the concept of loans and debts in our lives now uh, that when we think of debt, we just think of a ledger book and it's red. Um, You know, we think of it in dollar terms. And at best, when it comes to biblical concept, uh, we think of it being a moral ledger, a moral balance. You know, we're morally deficient, not good enough. And yes, probably we're all a little bit morally deficient if we compare ourselves, our level of goodness against the goodness and pureness that Jesus talks about uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, that if you hate a brother, uh, you've murdered him, if you looked at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. Like, compared to that, we probably are morally deficient in some way, but it's about more than moral indebtedness. I don't know about you, um, when I was uh, taught to pray, um, when I was growing up in the youth fellowships, I was taught that uh, there was this model, it's A-C-T-S, ACTS, right? Stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. And what it, how it works is this, you go, uh, oh, I love you, God. Sorry, God. Now, thank you, God. Please, God. You know, that, that's, that's basically the, the four uh, things we do. But I struggle to come up with anything to say to God in that confession bit. Um, you know, I, I spent time busting my head to think, what petty crimes have I committed 
this week. And I managed to conjure up some uh, token confessions, uh, which these days would, would sound like, you know, I should have been more patient with mum and dad. Um, you know, I, I should have told the truth and not have lied about how much that pair of jeans really cost. Uh, I shouldn't have lost my temper with Alistair when he craw- crawled into my bed and kicked me in the face at 4am in the morning. Um, and one day I realised if, if my human condition after the fall is that I have become morally corrupt, then with what kind of arrogance do I think I can actually even go to God and recount back to him all my sins? Right? I realised to myself that, you know, I don't even recognise much of my sin and I don't even know what they are and I probably don't care to know what they are. But I know that I am so far off perfection and I just have to admit that. The word for debt in Greek doesn't just mean debt. It actually also translates to really the word ought. I ought to, you ought to. It's failing to do what we should. You know, the word being in debt is just falling short of perfection. And it basically is the same idea as that Old Testament Hebrew word for sin, which means missing the mark. Like, you know, when you fire an arrow, it doesn't hit the target and go somewhere else. And then there's the extent of the debt we're in. You know, it's, if we just used a moral balance, let's say, we'll, we'll never admit how bad we are because we go off and compare ourselves with the worst possible kind of people. Right? And it's not hard to jump online or get on the newspaper and there's a truckload of those terrible people out there to make ourselves feel rather saintly. Now, we're only a little bit off the mark compared to those guys. And not a whole lot. You know, nothing, uh, a bit of uh, care and an extra effort in the future won't fix. You know, we, it's a debt that we can still repay. It's a debt we can still work on. There's hope. We don't need it forgiven us. You know, that, that's the foolishness of this servant in this passage. And this servant had 10,000 bags of gold worth of debt. And if you looked at the phone or your Bible, we have, thankfully we got notes to describe the original text for us. You know, it, it says in the original text the term 10,000 talents of gold. And then it goes on to say a talent of gold is worth about 20 years worth of wages of a day labourer. So you do some simple math, that fella owed 200,000 years worth of debt to the master. And he, he says to the master, be patient with me, I will repay. Well, be patient with you for 200,000 years. Oh, I don't think so, right? He's kidding himself. And I once had a client who had a judgment um, to, to, to recoup fifteen to $20,000. I can't remember exactly how much from this person. And the person that owed the debt sent us a, uh, in an envelope a $50 note every week. Um, and we, so what we have to do is we have to open it, we have to process it, we have to draft a letter or write a letter and send it and closing it to the client, we have to go bank it for him. And eventually the client said, forget it, it's not worth it, just make it stop, right? Um, that's what this servant needs. This debt needs to be cancelled, not extended, so that he can go away with this misconception that he can work harder at it. It's, it's not possible. It's lifetimes and lifetimes worth of debt. 
Now, I read this story many times before, and every time I think to myself, that first servant was probably just a miserable fella, uh, you know, he's bitter and twisted, and maybe a massive hypocrite for uh, being nasty on this other guy who owed him only a tiny, tiny, tiny bit um, of what was actually owed by him to the master. But having really, really soaked into this story, I realized the issue with this servant isn't a moral one. It isn't about how he's a bit of an extortionist with his mate. Um, the issue is that he just has no insight. You know, it's, it's lack of insight that accrues a debt the size of multiple lifetimes. How do you allow that to even happen? You know, you've got no idea of your own capacity. You know, you're a wage earner and your debt is the size of James Packer. Right? It's lack of insight that you expose your wife and kids to the risk of slavery. It's lack of insight that rather than beg for your debt to be cancelled, you ask for more time to work it off. Are you kidding? And I think it's lack of insight that he goes to the other servant who owes him a few grand in today's terms uh, and refuses to waive the debt. Because I think he doesn't believe that his own master actually forgave his debt. He doesn't believe it. He doesn't believe it's true. He needs to call on as much leverage as possible so that he could have it in his own back pocket. And when the master changes his mind, he's somehow found enough to maybe possibly say, uh, look, I, I came up with this down payment. Now give me more time. You know, I wonder if that's not how we are with God. I know I'm definitely guilty of that. You know, half the time I struggle with the idea that I even owe a debt to God to start with. Um, and, and when I do, I, I, it's a begrudgingly moralistic debt that I admit. And, and even after admitting the debt, I try to hedge myself against God. I try to leverage over God. I, you know, I do a bit of a side hustle to store up credit. Right? I, I go off and do some good deeds. I um, you know, serve in this church thingy. I, um, I make my offerings so that when God changes his mind about this whole I forgive your debt business, um, somehow I've, I've still got something there. You know, I can go, I knew it, I knew it. I knew I had to rely on my own efforts. Here's what I found and here's what I have to show you. Because we forget that the extent of our debt is so great and our capacity to repay the debt so small that really, in comparison, we may as well not even bother. You know, we are, to God, what we call these days bad debts. And there's only two things you do to bad debts. You either forgive them in full because it's not worth it or you send the debtor to the liquidator to do whatever they want with it. Martin Luther, the 16th century reformer, I think really understood this problem. Uh, he, was a, he was a monk in a monastery for a little while um, after he graduated uh, as a lawyer. Uh, he didn't, like his family wanted him to, be practiced as a lawyer. He went into the monastery, became a monk, and, and he would go to confession and, and spend hours and hours counting everything he could think of that... that were sinful to the point that the senior monk having to hear his confession would get really angry at him and chuck him out. And so he says this in a letter to his dear friend, Philip Melacthon. If you are a preacher of mercy, do not preach an imaginary but the true mercy. If the mercy is true, 
you must therefore bear the true, not an imaginary sin. God does not save those who are imaginary sinners. Be a sinner and sin and let your sins be strong. But let your trust in Christ be stronger and rejoice in Christ who is the victor over sin, death and the world. We will commit sins whilst we're here. For this life is not a place where justice resides. We, however, says Peter, and he's referring to the second Peter, are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where justice will reign. It suffices that through God's glory, we have recognised the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. No sin can separate us from him. Even if we were to kill or commit adultery a thousand times each day, do you think that such an exalted lamb paid merely a small price with a meagre sacrifice for our sins. Pray hard, for you are quite a sinner. Now, Luther is not someone who shies away from controversy. You know, he caused quite a bit of stir in his own day and led to the Reformation and all that. Um, but but you know, this, this letter caused a fair bit of stir over the years, and especially over the words, be a sinner and let your words be strong. I think these days we treat it too sensitive for our little years, uh, for, for churchgoers, you know, ugh, sins. Um, but I think Luther just means to say this, that we are in debt and we are in big debt. Now, don't try to pretend you can pay it off. Don't try and pretend you can leverage anything over that debt. And so it makes sense that Jesus prays this part of the prayer right after, give us this day our daily bread. Now, last week, Sirks would have unpacked this you know, about reliance, this posture of not earning but receiving bread. You know, again, Luther understood this because they say that when Luther died, they found a note in his pocket and inside it read, and the translation of it read, we are beggars, this is true. We are beggars, this is true. We come to God as beggars expecting to receive our daily bread, no more. Um, and if we're to live in that sort of posture in faithful reliance with hopeful expectation for the future, we can't just say the words, give us today our daily bread, and then after saying it, go around calling in our debts and leverage them so that because we don't believe that we'll actually get that daily bread. You know, we're still leveraging against the possibility that we might still have to take our own coin to that bakery to buy that bread. And if that's the case, we've not understood what Luther understood. We have not prayed what Christ taught us to pray. But we don't just want to preach mercy with this prayer. Um, you know, we, don't, we, we also want to know that justice is being done. You know, a God that just wipes debts clean, uh, it leaves some of us thinking, well, that's awfully convenient, isn't it? You know, what about those uh, uh, awful, evil people out there? And uh, the risk of being really nerdy, bear with me, I want to share a little reflection of my own. Uh, you see, in 99% of debts, uh, disputes, we don't liquidate or wind up the debtor because we take no joy in doing that. You know, the lawyers and the liquidators get fat and well paid, uh, but the poor creditor ends up with maybe 10 to 20 cents in the dollar. Um, what we do is we settle. Uh, we enter into an arrangement, uh, a contract. Uh, 
In biblical terms, we call that a covenant. In that agreement, the the debtor, the person who owes us money or our client's money, will agree on a new payment plan, a new commitment, uh, but an immediate down payment. In some contracts, we call that down payment a deposit. Uh, And in Old English, before modern contract language uh, was invented, we called it an earnest payment, an earnest. Um, Because it represented the earnestness of the person in debt, of his recognized, or the recognition of the debt and the need to repay it. You know, it's like saying, I believe that I'll have capacity to repay you. Here's 10% up front. Um, it's not enough, I know, but it's something, and I did, you know, I tried hard getting this 10%. So believe that I am earnest about my obligations to repay it. Believe my sincerity. But like the first servant, in this story, there's nothing I can actually provide that remotely points to my capacity to repay 200,000, or was it 100,000 bags of gold? You know, even liquidating me just sees my wife and kids, myself being sold into slavery, and what will that recoup? Maybe half a talent, right? Jesus isn't talking about quantity here, but even so, he gives us a quantity that makes us understand it's impossible. But it's about quality. You know, we can't find within us even the slightest will to acknowledge the debt. And even if we did, what can we ever hope to put down as earnest, as a down payment? Now, like I said before, if I was left to my own devices, I'm rarely earnest with God about how in debt I am. You know, I struggle with recognizing my debt. I struggle to recognize the extent of my debt, and I struggle to properly understand that I utterly lack the capacity to repay this debt. In Ephesians and First Corinthians, or Second Corinthians, sorry, Paul, uh, Paul, who is kind of like a proto version of Martin Luther, they really write and speak uh, in, in similar ways. Makes this what to me is a mind blowing statement. He says in Ephesians one, the Holy Spirit is the down payment on our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is the down payment on our inheritance, which is applied toward our redemption. Redemption and forgiveness are really the same things in Scripture, uh, as God's own people resulting in the honour of God's glory. And in 2 Corinthians 1, it says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Now, this is mind-blowing for someone who's a lawyer, you know, reading this, it all makes sense. Um, you know, the God who is owed a debt from us is the one who provides the deposit, the earnest, the down payment. You know, those times, I don't know if you've had them, where you go, I feel I need to be forgiven, You know, I feel I am in so much debt. I am in so much need of salvation. I'm a beggar. I'm a sinner. God. And and you just have that Lazarus moment where you come before God. Um, I think that's the Holy Spirit being put down inside of us, working in us, reminding us, hey, you're all good. There's no liquidator coming to get you today. There's an arrangement. And even though you don't have the means, I'll help you. And you'll probably see where I'm going with this. 
God is the creditor, the master. He puts the Holy Spirit down as, as deposit and sends Christ as the full repayment of our debt. Now, the debt is forgiven in the sense that we no longer have to repay it. But the debt is repaid. We don't have to repay it, but it is repaid by somebody else. There is mercy for the debtor, real mercy, but there is justice for the creditor and a redemptive, not a vengeful kind of justice. And I think God is so fair um, that when he pays his own debts, he establishes separate entities to transact at arm's length uh, because, you know, God 2,000 years ago understood that we have ASIC and the Corporations Act to regulate us about arm's length transactions. Um, you know, truly, we have had our debts forgiven and truly repaid. And we can forgive others their debts because we can acknowledge that we don't need leverage anymore. You know, like C.S. Lewis once said, though, uh, everybody thinks forgiveness is such a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. You know, like the first servant uh, whose, whose astronomical debt gets forgiven, forgets all about that. Now, the moment it comes his turn to forgive, we tend to forget the same thing. You know, either we've forgotten it, or maybe we've never really believed it was real that we were forgiven in the first place. You know, we lapse into thinking, uh, I can be good, and uh, the goodness I collect uh, will, will go into an account where I can repay that debt I have with God. You know, we leave the settlement we just had with God where we had our debts fully forgiven, and straight away we get some sort of amnesia. You know, we become religious again. You know, wait, he, he said he'll forgive the debt, right? Uh, what, what, did he mean it unconditionally? Uh, did he mean it? Maybe, maybe I better work on a backup plan just in case. And, and because we didn't quite believe God had really forgiven us, we don't like to forgive our neighbours. You know, why should I have to live on a tightrope not knowing when God's going to change his mind and forgive me when I have to show you mercy? And that's why the religious man, the Pharisee, as the New Testament likes to call them, is never a merciful man. And a religious me gets frustrated with people in our lives that we feel are not doing enough to follow our religious codes and rules. Religious me wants to square accounts with them rather than forgive them because it stands to follow that if I have to freely forgive those people, then maybe I have to be freely forgiven by my master too. And if we said that, then my religion collapses. And I am still wanting to live in the, in the misconception that I can still meet my debts. I don't need mercy, is what we're saying. We, we refuse to forgive the other person because we're in fact saying, I'm still in control, I can square my account. Don't need it. Don't show me this mercy. And that's why mercy will not be shown. It will not be volunteered to us. Hannah Arendt, um, a, a Jewish-American scholar, uh, it became quite prominent after World War II uh, as a social political commentator and philosopher, talks about the idea of forgiving in order to promise again. Forgiving in order to promise again. I really love that idea. Um, in one of her books, The Human Condition, uh, she doesn't mean the human condition we talk about in a Christian sense, but in a, in a socio-political sense, how we 
can interact with one another uh, in this world. She writes, the, the possible redemption from the predicament of irreversibility. The possible redemption from the predicament of irreversibility. Of being able to undo what one has done, though one did not and could not have known what he was doing, is the faculty of forgiving. The remedy for unpredictability, for chaotic uncertainty of the future, is contained in the faculty to make and keep promises. The two faculties belong together insofar as one of them, forgiving, serves to undo the deeds of the past. The sins hang like Democles' sword over every new generation. And the other, binding oneself through promises, serves to set up in the ocean of uncertainty, which is the future by definition, islands of security without which not even continuity, let alone durability of any kind, would be possible in the relationships between men. It's, it's a bit of a, a mouthful, uh, but it really talks about what do we do when we are stuck with the errors of the past, the sins of the past, whether we admit them or not, they're irreversible. And the future, which we're prone to and we're bound to make mistakes again in the future if we admit like Luther did who we are. You know, we live in so unpredictable a world that I can't promise to you today who I'll even be tomorrow. What can we do, says Hannah Arendt, except to forgive the past and promise the future? Forgive the past and promise the future over and over and over again. You know, what Hannah Arendt is writing about, yes, it's socio-political, that if we live like this together, then we should hopefully flourish together as a community in the world, in plurality, that we must learn to forgive and keep promises. But I think it's quite profound in that it doesn't talk just about human-to-human relationship. It is actually reflective of the divine reality between us and God. You know, this morning... God invites us into a new debt arrangement, a new covenant, a new forgiveness and a renewal of promises once broken. Now, he's ready to make that down payment and he's ready to credit you what Christ has already done for us on the cross. And yes, he's done that for us once and for all, but he will also do that for us again and again. Like it says in the book of Lamentations, his mercies are new every morning. The night before Jesus' death on the cross, he dined with his disciples and as they were eating, he took a loaf of bread, blessed it and broke it. He passed it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, gave thanks for it, passed to them and said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for me. For the forgiveness of sins, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I don't know where you're at this morning. You know, if you know deeply in your heart that you need forgiveness from above, that you're in debt, that you're in great debt, that the debt you owe, you cannot possibly hope to repay or contribute even a down payment towards, bless you, 
And I almost envy you because maybe like me, you find it hard to recount your sins and acknowledge your debts. You find it hard to feel a willingness even to come to God in repentance. Can you indulge me by allowing me to read from C.S. Lewis? From mere Christianity, he says this, remember this repentance, this willing submission to humiliation and a kind of death is not something God demands of you before he will take you back and which he could let you off if he chose. It's simply a description of what going back to him is like. If you ask God to take you back without it, that is repentance, you're really asking him to let you go back without going back. It cannot happen. Very well, then we must go through with it. But the same badness that makes us needs it makes us unable to do it. Can we do it if God helps us? Yes. But what do we mean when we speak of God helping us? We mean God putting into us a bit of himself, so to speak. I'm just going to get Jono and the team up and as we get ready. But by, by taking communion, we take into us Christ's body and blood. You know, we take into us a little piece of God Himself. And with the help of God Himself, we ask for forgiveness for the past and the past can be put behind us and we can make a new promise and we get to do that again and again as often as we eat and drink in remembrance of this new agreement, this new covenant that this stands for this morning. So I invite all of you, if you want forgiveness of the type that we've been reflecting on this morning and you want that covenant made anew, whether it's your hundredth time or your first time, take a moment, right? Just between you and God, take a moment. Forget trying to ask for forgiveness of these trifles and petty sins. Just ask for forgiveness. Ask for the Holy Spirit to come in. And then renew your promise with God. And if this morning, for the first time, you feel, you know what, I'm tired of living like I have to find leverage, live a good life, follow this rule and that law. And like Luther, you just want to know that God's grace is there and is merciful and it doesn't matter that we mess around and stumble around and make a mess of it all. I pray that as you take these elements with the rest of us, you will be refreshed and that God puts a little bit of Himself in you. You know, we'd love to connect with you if that's you after this service. Get to know how we can support you and pray for you in that journey. Please come and talk to one of us or someone at the welcome desk behind us. But for now, you know, let us go to God and renew our covenant with Him. Ask for forgiveness. Ask for the down payment to reveal to us our indebtedness and to thank God for that repayment that has been paid once and for all that we can access again and again and again. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to get connected with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.